Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast, where you're going to find news that you won't find anywhere else, and where you're going to hear from a guy who wants to unite the country, who wants to show as much love as humanly possible, and who wants to motivate and make you a little bit wiser with each and every episode. My name is Stan Orr Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas, and as a guy who worries a lot about our current media situation, as well as the state of our country, I decided it was time to have a place where you can come listen and just get the facts, no matter what side you are on. I absolutely love America, and I care a lot about our military, where they're at, where they might be going, what conflicts might be on the horizon. We need a calm and solid media voice, who doesn't work to divide, and who doesn't use scare tactics or extreme, minuscule examples to work up their audience. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know that our democracy doesn't work without informed voters. And I also know we need to grow closer together and show more patience and kindness to everyone. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the February 23rd edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. As you know, I'm coming to you on Friday, which is actually the 24th, but I'm going to keep the naming of it the same, just so that if anyone looks in the archives, it looks like all editions are seven days apart. But uh, coming a day late because, unfortunately, uh, my mother did pass this week, so it's been a uh, challenging week for myself and my family. I appreciate everyone's thoughts and prayers and all the folks who reached out to me, and um, we'll just keep pushing on as best we can. That's all we can do in life, right? So today, um, quite a few things we're going to cover. We're going to cover a couple military news items regarding uh, the U.S. We'll have plenty of news on the Ukraine-Russia war. We'll also have some news about Israel and Iran. We'll also cover some news about China. And then we'll have some pretty crazy tech news. And then finally, we'll cover plenty of motivation and wisdom like we all do, always do. And with that out of the way, we'll just go ahead and get started. Before we get to this uh, first news item, let me do say as well that uh, my voice sounds a little rough. I'm either dealing with a cold or something worse or sinuses. I'm not sure, but it has been a rough week, so I'm doing my best. So I will try to speak as clearly as I can. I mentioned we were going to do two news items regarding U.S. military news. And the first one is we've discussed for several weeks that a lot of a lot has been happening in mostly Syria, but also probably the western part of Iraq regarding U.S. troops as they continue to target and fight ISIS. Of course, ISIS was a big name uh, force uh, probably for the past decade or so, uh, especially during the Obama administration. He took a lot of heat for that. Um, the war against them continued under the Trump administration. If you recall, they at one point owned and basically almost a country as part of Syria and Iraq until they were really uh, focused on by the U.S. and some Western powers. And they were driven back and eventually mostly defeated. And then, uh, folks, we, you know, as usual, probably celebrated victory a little too soon. And so there have been remnants of them and continued raids and fighting from um, U.S. forces and and some others, but mostly U.S. forces leading some of, some of this fighting, including with Iraqi support and Iraqi troops. But they've also been working in ISIS. And I think it was about three or four weeks ago we talked about that 
I don't even remember how many hundred raids had happened in the past years. So in the past year. So there's been a lot of behind the scenes work being done by a very small group of individuals, special forces, Navy SEALs, uh, MARSOC, which is the Marine version of uh, their special operators, and probably other folks like that, uh, Air Force Pararescue, etc. These are the kind of missions they rarely make the news. You rarely hear about them. And so these are just folks at the very tip of the spear doing very dangerous work for which they don't seek credit and they rarely get credit. And we usually don't even know what they're doing. However, since the last episode, there was a helicopter raid uh, raid in northeast Syria. And there was an explosion there and it resulted in four U.S. service members and one working dog being wounded. And in the targeted ISIS leader, they were going after a senior leader, according to uh, the U.S. military. His name was Hamza al-Hamzi. He was killed, uh, and the U.S. troops and the working dog are receiving treatment in a U.S. medical facility in Iraq. So that's all we know about that. Uh, With an explosion like that, it could have been one of two things. Typically, um, with a terrorist, they will often sometimes have a suicide vest or some of their fighters will. So there's a chance that happened. But there's also a chance, since it was so many, um, four U.S. service members and the dog, there are times where they will have explosives in their home, and if they are ever raided, they basically just blow the building up or blow a room up, and that, you know, in kind of a final um, method of jihad, and so they take down as many of those U.S. troops or Iraqi or Syrian troops or whoever are taking them out, whoever's fighting ISIS, they try to take out as many of those fighters as possible. So we'll probably never know exactly what happened unless someone makes a movie or a book about it or unless more is released. But typically that kind of information doesn't get released. So that was the first object, uh, first object, I apologize, first item I wanted to cover. Four U.S. service members wounded and the working dogs. So keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, And remember all those men and women out there doing things that we don't always hear about who are helping defend America from afar. Now, the second U.S. military news item I wanted to cover uh, involves, we talked about the shoot-down of several balloons last week, and I kept seeing all these stories pop up on social media from some defense outlets, and I just wanted to point out one real clear defense, shared one on Twitter, and it said, Pentagon declines to answer if it shot down a $12 balloon with a $400,000 missile. Uh, where do I begin with this? And so I was getting increasingly frustrated with these stupid stories because it's the Pentagon's not going to say, but we pretty much know what type of missile was used in one of them. And I may be in the minority on this, but I kept seeing these stories pop up, and I'm sorry, but I don't care. No one in a defense situation asks what the cost of a munition is. The military was ordered to shoot it down. They shot it down. And I cannot believe that some defense reporters are wasting their time trying to find out how much it costs to shoot down a balloon. I mean, come on, folks. Is there, are there not, like, bigger, more important stories out there? And so, I don't know. I just had to make that little comment because I don't care what it costs to shoot it down. If it was deemed necessary to shoot it down, then we needed to, to get it down. And that's what the military does. No one on the front line, no one in a pilot seat, thinks about what did it cost to use that munition. You were given a, you know, usually a dangerous assignment, 
shooting down a balloon over America is probably not a dangerous assignment. But in most situations, the last thing on your mind is what does it cost to do something in the military? You're you're trying to execute and achieve a mission, and you use the best tool that you have at your disposal to do that. No one thinks about the cost. So, so if you're one of those reporters writing these kind of stories, just stop. You look kind of silly. And if your editor is assigning these kind of stories, just say, look, you may not have served before, but let me assure you, this is kind of a silly assignment, and so I'm asking you, just push back against them. I used to be a reporter. I know what it's like. When someone tells you to do something silly, you say, uh, you sure about that, boss? And I'll give you a good example. There was once a terrible story in uh, the county I lived in, in Anderson County, where unfortunately a gentleman was backing up his truck to load a boat and a young boy who was about four years old got between the truck and the trailer and unfortunately died in this horrible accident. And so my editor at the time was like, hey, go go out there, shoot a photo, see if you can get a comment from the family or whatever. And I was just like, are you serious? You want me to go out to a family's house, shoot a photo, and try to talk to a grieving father who just accidentally you know, killed his son or the mother, I'm like, you're out of your mind. I'll, if you want me to do that, I'm just going to turn in my notice because I'm not going out to pester some family and ask the most obvious, stupid questions. And so that's what these reporters are doing. Why are you even asking the Pentagon if it costs, you know, $400,000 to shoot down a $12 balloon? All you're doing is trying to get attention and clicks. So it's just called clickbait. We know what the missile costs. You can see it in the budget. We know what they, I mean, what What are we doing here? You're making yourself look foolish, so just stop. You don't have to be this way. And that's partly why people cannot stand the media. People chase down some of the most insane, silly, foolish stories, and you make yourself look like idiots. So if you're one of those people, you don't have to do what an editor tells you to do. You can stand up to them. And if you're really... Seriously, a defense reporter, and you think this story matters, man, like, check your check your ethics, your morals, your, I mean, you don't think there's bigger stories out there than this? I mean, I, I can't believe that someone, it isn't just one person, it's a lot of, a lot of people were chasing down this story, and then on the other side of it, like, what what are you trying to do? Are you trying to make the military look bad? Are you mad at the Air Force that they use this $400,000 missile? Like, I mean, what are, what are you trying to accomplish? I don't understand what you're trying to accomplish. Now, if your goal is we spend too much on military spending that's wasteful, hey, there's no doubt waste that can be found. Most of it's put in by Congress. The defense, there's every year... The Pentagon says, we don't want this weapon system, or we don't want that. And Congress overfunds it because they have production facilities in their district. There are so many bigger stories than this. I just can't believe that we're seriously going to try to put up clickbait headlines about a $400,000 missile in such a small incident. How about we find out what those three balloons were, where they were from? I mean, I just can't believe that if you got a chance to get in front of someone... You're going to try to hold them to answer a question about a $400,000 missile. So that's my rant. I had to get that off my chest. 
And so I got that off my chest. Thanks for listening on that. We'll just get to the next topic. So let's move to Ukraine news. There was a few things there I definitely wanted to cover. One is, I'm sure you saw this in the news, so I'm only going to spend just a brief moment on it, but President Biden did sneak into Ukraine. He visited the capital city of Kiev. Uh, I think it truly was a historic visit. I think it's unprecedented in modern times uh, to have the President of the United States visit a capital of a country that's at war, and the U.S. military doesn't even control the critical infrastructure, meaning the air defense systems, the airspace, etc. Uh, he snuck in by train. He went to the capital. Uh, I have read that they did warn the Russians that he was there at that point, but uh, I think it was a complete secret until he got to that point. There were some air raid sirens, but pretty crazy. You know, we had we've had. American presidents visit war zones. George Bush went to Iraq and Afghanistan. Obama did the same. Trump has done the same. But like I said, in all of those instances, there was some danger from indirect fire, mortar, artilleries, etc. Or mortars usually, not artillery. I'll take that back, actually. But mortars or rocket, long-range rocket fire. Even the Taliban would fire rockets sometimes. But this was obviously a, you know, pretty risky, dangerous thing. But... It's interesting because I said a week or two ago that I felt like, and I hadn't read this anywhere, but that it feels like Biden is setting himself up for the next presidential election, and he's definitely going to be the pro-Ukraine president. He's going to be the one that says, I'm going to help defend the modern uh, democracies of the world, such as Taiwan, which is under threat as well from China, and that will probably box in the Republican uh, whoever emerges from their primary. But the fact he did this visit seems to just further, you know, at least for me anyway, confirm what I was thinking. He did release a statement. I thought I'd read that just real quick. And uh, he says, As the world prepares to mark the one-year anniversary of Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine, I am in Kiev today to meet with President Zelensky and reaffirm our unwavering and unflagging commitment to Ukraine's democracy sovereignty, and territorial integrity. When Putin launched his invasion nearly one year ago, he thought Ukraine was weak and the West was divided. He thought he could outlast us, but he was dead wrong. Today in Kiev, I am meeting with President Zelensky and his team for an extended discussion on our support for Ukraine. I will announce another delivery of critical equipment, including artillery ammunition, anti-armor systems, and air surveillance radars to help protect the Ukrainian people from aerial bombardments. Uh, and since that happened four days ago, on Monday, there was an announcement of an additional uh, military weapons package. And so that has been announced, just as he said would happen. While we're talking about U.S. support to Ukraine, I heard a comment that I thought was really on point Depending on the numbers you look at, um, one from January 6th put the figure at about $25 billion since the Biden administration to Ukraine. Uh, and because this is becoming more of a political topic in the U.S., as um, some folks attack it and say we're writing blank checks is a term you'll hear a lot. Uh, I also saw a total that with the most recent one, we're at about $27.5 billion. But I did want to make just one comment that we I think we all forget, and I think I myself have been guilty of this, so... This is as much toward me as it is you. 
and that is that a lot of this military equipment of the 25 or 27 billion since the Biden administration began, a lot of it was stuff we had already paid for, and in many cases, we're going to decommission or destroy. And so we've been sending older stuff there, older missiles, older now artillery shells. Uh, for those who've been in the military, you know, they typically fire older stuff during training. And so we're definitely depleting some of our stocks on artillery shells of modern ones. But in a lot of cases, the missiles, some of the uh, older weapon systems, we've been sending older stuff there that probably would have been decommissioned and or destroyed anyway. So to get the real cost is very challenging to do, but it's not, it's like we're, it's, it'd be like if you, you know, you bought a car 20 years ago and maybe at that time it was a $15,000 car or whatever. And then 10, 15 years later, you give it to your son or your cousin. Are you giving them a $15,000 car or are you giving them a car that's worth like 3000 You know what I'm saying? There's, so the value on the stuff it gets into a gray area, and so it's very hard to calculate what the true value of it is. Now, th these systems are definitely better than most communist bloc systems. They're definitely more advanced than what the Ukrainians had. They were definitely needed. But it's just, as I see more and more people talk about a blank check, as I see the way some folks are saying, look how much this was. We could have spent this in America for here or for there. Well, that's not exactly accurate because, one, we'd already spent this money. We already had this stuff. You can't turn a tank into a fence. You can't turn a, a missile into, you know what I'm saying? You can't, it's not quite that simple. So, as usual, things aren't always totally black and white in the real world. And so, as you hear some of your friends or some of the rhetoric on various channels and whatnot, just remember that this isn't as simple as you know, it seems that some are saying. And also, when you hear people talk about a blank check or, you know, extending the war, any of those things, again, Ukraine was a peaceful country that was invaded. There are not American troops there. This is one of those things that people will start to use comparisons to, you know, crazy stuff like Vietnam or this or that. And it's like, we don't even have a single American soldier there fighting the the Russians. So, It'll, uh, it's, it's just frustrating when people just take talking points that aren't exactly on the mark and then they just kind of run with them. So just something to kind of keep yourself in check as you hear people. Maybe you can help educate them just a little bit, bit better on that part. On this same topic, while we're discussing this, there was a clip that came out. Uh, the Republican Senate uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell went on Fox News and he said that uh, he's going to try to help explain to the American people that defeating the Russians in Ukraine is, and this is his words, the single most important event going on in the world right now. And he said there should be bipartisan support for this. So I was glad to see him go on that channel and say that since um, a lot of the political commentators on Fox News have been increasingly attacking the spending and the effort to support Ukraine. So... He definitely gets, you know, kudos for having the courage to do that and to share that message there. And it's also a sign that, at least in the Senate, there continues to be, you know, probably 35 or so Republican senators, maybe 40, who do support uh, continued 
military support for Ukraine. So I did want to share that as it's a big deal in the weeks and months ahead to keep an eye on where is the American will at, the American polling as far as support for Ukraine. Because unfortunately, the folks in Washington, D.C., they are politicians, and polling does usually have an effect eventually on where they're going to land. So I did want to share that little bit as we continue to track where the polling starts to shift or where the political opinion begins to sway a little bit. Okay, so we're going to share just three more short little things about the Ukraine war, and then we'll move on to the next topic. But first, I wanted to share just a paragraph from a Washington Post opinion piece. And because we're celebrating, you know, it's been a full year. We're now moving into the second year of the war. And this one paragraph, sometimes you'll read one paragraph that just kind of blows you away. And so this absolutely just hit me, and I was like, I got to share this. So here's the paragraph. If the fighting somehow ended today, would anyone have a doubt about who won and who lost? Whatever tactical, territorial gains Putin might hold when this phase of intense war stops, no one will have any doubt about the fact that Putin's war was a grave strategic blunder. He succeeded in achieving precisely the opposite of what he intended. Ukrainian sense of identity and confidence that they can build a viable, modern nation has never been stronger. NATO has never been more unified and its European members far more willing to invest in their own military capabilities than in a generation or more. By recreating a vivid Russian threat, Putin has condemned his country to a new Cold War against a united transatlantic adversary whose combined economy is more than 20 times its size. Just to add a few things to that paragraph and help explain it, because sometimes you, you read it, it's just hard to really summarize something well. But think about this. Before the Russian invasion, there truly were some Ukrainians who were somewhat pro-Russia. There truly was in the eastern part of the country, in the Donbass region, in Luhansk and uh, Donetsk, there were folks who were pro-Russian. There were some who wanted to be, be Russian. They spoke Russian there was a Russian identity in part of the country. But this war, and even, I'll say, in the middle and, and western part of the countries that were more pro-Ukraine, some of those were kind of like, eh, whatever, who who cares? I mean, who keeps up with politics, right? You know, just kind of those kind of thoughts. And there were people that didn't have a strong opinion one way or the other. And then, of course, there was many who were pro-Ukraine. But this war, it's unbelievable toll on the Ukrainian people, the bombing of cities. It's such a one-sided David versus Goliath fight on paper, and then the sheer will of the Ukrainians to resist their courage, their bravery. In Ukraine, it has skyrocketed Ukrainian identity. It has created this almost view of that country, that it truly is not just part of Russia. It's not some part of, you know, the Soviet Union. It's like, it's its own country. They're fighting for freedom. And it is so clear when you see that. And then, you know, on the part about the, you know, NATO was sort of weak before this. There was, you know, the former President Trump was like, what's the point of NATO? All the European countries were spending less and less on defense, which is part of what President Trump constantly brought up. They weren't spending the 2%. What has happened since then? Well, all of them have invested heavily. 
all of them are spending way more. They're obviously supporting Ukraine mostly with money. Some of the countries have, I mean, obviously some of the countries have sent a fair amount of military equipment, but a lot of them have not. A lot of them have just sent money and humanitarian aid, but it has united them. And NATO is in the process of expanding. So, you know, you've got uh, Sweden and Finland, these countries that were historically neutral. So this has really, it's it's been an absolute blunder. And then on top of all of that, there's obviously the sanctions, but much worse than that is that Russia used to use energy as a weapon, and we've had a winter that wasn't too harsh. And so Germany and all of those European countries are increasingly not going to buy natural gas from Russia. So this has absolutely destroyed the Russian economy. So I think that paragraph just really nails down that at, at this point, it has been an absolute disaster for Russia. And of course, their military has started to look like a joke. And, you know, I don't know how Putin recovers from this or if it's even possible to regain some kind of stature as both a leader because he's basically seen as a war criminal now, and also his military, which used to have so much, it used to just create so much fear in the West. I don't know how you recover that again, because this has not made them look good, that's for sure. Now the second item I wanted to mention before we move off the topic is the Pentagon announced that the first class of 600 plus Ukrainian fighters has finished a five-week advanced U.S. training course in Germany, and they were working on how to use the Bradley vehicles. And so 635, that's a little less than what we would call a battalion in the U.S. military. In the U.S. military, a battalion usually has about 800 to 1,000 fighters. But there's no doubt that they were practicing using the Bradley fighting vehicles and the uh, self-propelled artillery, which are the M109 Paladins. That's the first group. And then there's supposed to be about 1,600 more that will be done soon. And so... They are all learning to fight more effectively, more you know precisely, more quickly, being able to shoot and move better, etc. And so that first group is done, and this is part of what Ukraine is hoping is a group that will eventually help with a spring offensive to push the Russians back out of other captured uh, territory of Ukraine. I saw one story the other day. I think Russia t- currently controls 17% of what was Ukraine. So they went from controlling about 5% at the start of the war to 17%. So they have obviously captured ground, but they've been slowly but surely mostly being pushed back. And Ukraine is definitely getting better armed, better trained. And I think as Russia just increasingly uses um, conscripts and human wave attacks... You may have heard they've, they've made some small advances in a couple of places, but they are paying in just unbelievably large numbers of casualties and soldiers killed to take those. So this will certainly start to begin. I think we'll start to see some things happen in the coming weeks of additional Ukrainian advances. So we'll keep an eye out on that. And for the final item, I wanted to share, and I have two different sources that show this, but Russia attempted a, a armored attack in one part of the eastern part of Ukraine, and they lost 31 vehicles. And we're talking 13 Russian tanks, 
12 infantry fighting vehicles, and then there was a combat engineering vehicle and a couple other things. You can see all the images from my Substack notes if you want to go there, stainarmitchell.substack.com. And then if you kind of start Googling a little bit uh, the place that was attacked, you'll see there's a video of it you can find very easily. And these tanks basically go across this minefield and they start getting blown up and then artillery starts coming in. And the Russians do try to push forward. I'll give them props for showing some courage, but it was a very one-sided fight that got nowhere. And so they pushed across. You can see all of these vehicles damaged or destroyed and it's just a complete loss. And I'm telling you, you can watch it, and that's a lot of Russian casualties in one battle. It's the kind of thing that if the U.S. had attempted and lost that many troops in any battle, it would have been huge news for like a week in America. Of course, in Russia, they're keeping most of this stuff secret, so a lot of Russians won't ever know about it. They'll just eventually probably be told that their son isn't returning home, but definitely a pretty one-sided battle that was just it just shows that when you have combined arms when you have spotters when you have drones that can guide in some of the artillery and anti-tank missiles which i don't even know that any anti-tank missiles were used in this one they didn't even get far enough into the attack to do that but it was definitely a one-sided affair and so you'll often hear a lot of people saying well ukraine's using a lot of artillery shells per day and this shows how that at times, it's just necessary to really do what in the military we call fire for effect, but you just have to fire a lot of shells into an area. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications. It's free to do so, unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. Make sure to visit my website, stanormitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanormitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email, so you'll never miss a show. And again, that's free. Also, people are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books sooner. Believe me, the best way to support me is by signing up for a paid subscription on my Substack page. Or you can sign up at Patreon, where you can find me by searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell. Or at Venmo, where you can find my name by searching at Author Stan R. Mitchell. All of these links can be found on my Substack page, and it's $5 per month should you choose to support the show with a subscription. Obviously, you can cancel at any time. Thanks so much. Now, normally at this point, we would move to some news about China, but actually, I think the news coming out of Israel kind of bumps that back this week. There was... There were comments made by the U.S. ambassador to Israel that said that, uh, just three quick points. As President Biden has said, we will not stand by and watch Iran get a nuclear weapon, number one. Number two, he said all options are on the table. And number three, Israel can and should do whatever they need to do with to deal with Iran, and we've got their back. So that's what the U.S. ambassador to Israel said. It was pretty big news. The Secretary of State was in Greece, I believe it was, and he was asked about these comments. Now, I'm going to read his reply because they're kind of pretty, uh, I don't know the right way to describe them, but I guess illustrative. But I'm just going to read it, but if you 
as I read this, I want you to think about the fact that he does not disagree with anything that was said. Someone read this. He gets asked by the press pool. He was trying to avoid the questions, but he gets nailed. So this is the Secretary of State for the United States, uh, Anthony Blinken. He's obviously very close to President Biden. And so if there was a chance to knock down the comments that the U.S. stands with Israel should it choose to attack, this would have been a great place to do so. It would have been a great chance to kind of say, yeah, he kind of overstepped his bounds. But let me let me say right now, as you listen to this, tell me if you hear that in here at all, because I don't think so. Here's his answer. With regard to Ambassador Nides, and that's the, the man who made these comments, so with regard to Ambassador Nides, I haven't seen the full comments from my from that my friend Tom made. I'm sure they were notable, as they usually are. So that's kind of a small slap on the guy's wrist, because he probably stated it too strongly. And ambassadors are always supposed to like understate everything. So he said, I'm sure they were notable, as they usually are. From what I've heard, because I just got a brief description before, he reiterated what we have consistently said. We're committed to Israel's security. We are committed together to the proposition that Iran never acquire a nuclear weapon. That's not exactly news. The president's been very clear that every option is on the table to do that. And we're also working to deepen our co-op, <clears throat> excuse me, to deepen our cooperation and coordination with Israel as well as other countries to deal with the multiplicity of challenges that Iran poses, including advances in its nuclear program. By the way, sidebar here, but I think I mentioned a month or so ago, the U.S. has done some major air joint operations with Israel recently in training. But everyone said, hey, that was kind of a signal that maybe Israel is going to do something. Also, uh, as you may have heard, Israel has re-elected its previous longtime prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. It's probably the most far-right government they've had. There has been a lot of fighting of late in some of the Palestinian-occupied uh, territories. So the um, I don't think Benjamin Netanyahu will hold back if he decides it's necessary. And it also came out that Israel was likely behind the drone attack that we mentioned a couple of, two or three weeks ago, that there were drones launched from inside Iran. Someone brought these drones in that were loaded with explosives, and they attacked an Iranian production facility. You'll remember us discussing that. It's You can easily Google this, but most people think Israel was behind that attack, which is no surprise to anyone. So, back to the Secretary Blinken answer. He said, at the same time, we've also been clear that the Iran nuclear deal is not currently on the table. We spent many months seeing if we could re revive it and return to mutual compliance. There was, there was a proposal put forward by the European Union some months ago that was endorsed by everyone, China, Russia, as well as the United States, and Iran would not go forward with that. So again, he's, you see what he's saying here. And then he says, in the meantime, of course, we've seen the provision by Iran of drones to Russia to enable its aggression in Ukraine. We've seen the renewed repression throughout the streets of Iran against its own citizens simply for trying to speak their minds. And we see Iran also engaging, for example, in plots to assassinate those who oppose the regime in third countries, including in the United States. Side note on that paragraph, and I should have covered this back in 
probably November, October, there was a story in New York where some Iranian, um, I guess operatives is probably the best word, but some folks from Iran did try to either capture or murder a U.S. citizen, um, or perhaps citizen is too strong a word. It might have been uh, someone that we had granted immunity uh, here on a visa, but uh, they did try to get back someone to Iran or or kill them, capture or kill. Uh, I may have to try to find that story. But So him saying that, that's not news, but he said, and we see Iran also engaging, for example, in plots to assassinate those who oppose the regime in third countries, including in the United States. So this has happened. I wish I had talked about it back then, but I see so many little data points sometimes that I never know what will eventually make the news later, and I can't possibly get them all in. But I'm going to continue with this answer now. We continue to believe that, with regard to the nuclear program, the most effective, sustainable way to deal with the challenges it poses is through diplomacy. But in the in this moment, and I'm reading it as he said it, so he's saying this off the fly, he's not reading a statement, so I'm going to read it as he says it again. But in the in this moment, those efforts are on the back burner because Iran is simply not engaged in a meaningful way. But the door is always open to diplomacy going forward, but a lot depends on what Iran says and does and whether or not it engages. So there you go. Secretary of State's being very, you know, very State Department-like, ambassador-like, barely answering it. And so a reporter, thankfully, does what a good reporter does. And a reporter immediately says, does Israel have a green light to attack Iran? So he's trying to nail him down. And here was Secretary Blinken's answer. So listen to this. It's three lines. Countries will make sovereign decisions for their own security. And of course, that's no different when it comes to Israel or any country. We can't make those decisions for them. So that was the answer. There was no no there. Uh, there have been numerous comments by the U.S. that we have an ironclad commitment to Israeli defense. We obviously had that recent huge training exercise, uh, aerial training exercise I mentioned a few moments ago. But again, question was, does Israel have a green light to attack Iran? Answer. He could have said a hundred ways to say, we hope they don't, we blah, blah, blah. He says, countries will make sovereign decisions for their own security. And of course, that's no different when it comes to Israel or any country. We can't make those decisions for them. I don't know how you take that, but I would argue we kind of make those decisions for countries all the time. If you think about it, do we not? How many stories have you seen where we regularly will tell an ally or a country that we're, you know, have a lot of interest with that, you know, please de-escalate, please don't do this, blood, you know. I know I don't have to give you examples. You all know this is true. He doesn't say that. And so... I don't know. To me, it seems like a pretty big deal. So I definitely wanted to share that. We'll keep an eye on how that turns out. And it hasn't really made the news like it probably ought to, but there was a lot going on this week with the Ukraine visit to by Biden. And unfortunately, our political coverage and our national news coverage and possible foreign policy situations, those rarely make the news until it's too late. And by then... You know, that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is I like to try to get in, you know, in front of some of this stuff so you have an idea of what's actually happening out there. One other bit of news from Iran before we move to China is CNN released a story, a special report as they cover, as they call it, 
where they have uncovered dozens of black sites, you know, places that are not publicly disclosed, where Iran has been torturing protesters, and they've used a number of methods to determine these sites from... They uh, use satellite imagery, they use witness testimony, and so, you know, you can a lot of times geolocate things from where a video or a photo is, uh, you can use satellite imagery, etc. So CNN did a great job of uncovering dozens of these so-called black sites or places that the government will not admit exist, where the Iranians have been torturing protesters. So I've got a link to that in the source notes if you want to check it out. I don't think it really comes as news to anyone who's kept up with what Iran does. Um, they are just a a very repressive regime, and that's why the protesters in the past few months, their courage is just... It's hard for an American to understand how much courage it must take to protest in a country where you can just be abducted in the middle of the night, thrown in the back of a trunk of a car, taken somewhere, and tortured and murdered and your body may never be found. That happens routinely in places like Iran, and that's why some of the wounded protesters have refused to seek medical care because they will come get you out of the hospital. They will torture the people who might have provided care to you. So it's really no surprise to people who have followed this, but it is sad news nonetheless. Again, you can find that report from the Substack notes if you want to go there and take a look at it. We're going to move to China now. I've got four quick little topics on China. I'm going to knock out real fast. First thing is, the biggest part was the U.S. recently began seeing a, quote, disturbing signs that Beijing wants to creep up to the line of providing lethal military aid to Russia, obviously for its war in Ukraine, without getting caught. And so U.S. started sharing some of that intelligence with allies throughout the West. And they have starting to raise concerns about that with... China, trying to talk them out of it, obviously. But that was some pretty big news, so we'll see if, by chance, by making that public, they can kind of deter China from doing it, because if China were to start doing that, I think the sanctions will increase, and unfortunately, the further divide and move down a road toward at least a cold, an escalating Cold War with China will unfortunately take additional steps forward. Now, the second thing I wanted to bring up was recently some reporters asked China, one of its leaders, about if it would avoid using force. And unfortunately, I've got a link to it in the Substack notes, but China will not commit to peace. Asked about it, if a military escalation over Taiwan is not imminent, the Chinese leader declined. It was a high-ranking Chinese leader, and he said, Quote, let me assure the audience that Taiwan is part of Chinese territory. It has never been a country, and it will never be a country in the future. So, uh, Derek Grossman shared that. He covers Asia affairs really well, and he shared that, which is a huge hat tip to him for pointing that out. But yeah, so China's not committing to peace, regardless of, you know, I keep saying, I keep hoping that maybe they'll think things through and realize that this is going to wreck their economy if they were to do this. But unfortunately, they seem to be headed that direction. The third thing I wanted to share was a comment from Carmen Upshaw. He's just someone that I follow on social media. And he made a great point that I didn't want to just take his words and use them. I wanted to give him credit. But he said, you know, China has lots of new equipment, but they haven't fought a war since Korea, which he later clarified. They did fight in Vietnam for a short bit. 
But um, and they didn't do well there, by the way. But uh, as he said, an entire generation of officers with zero combat experience, zero logistics experience, zero combined arms experience, zero air combat experience, and so he made the point that if China was does decide to go to war and try to take Taiwan, it's going to mirror what is happening to Russia and Ukraine, which is it's going to be, it's not going to go nearly as well as China thinks it's going to go. I think that's an excellent point, so that's why I wanted to definitely make sure I shared that. The fourth and final thing I wanted to share about China was, I believe it was last week, it might have been two weeks ago, and I apologize with everything going on with my mother, everything has been kind of hazy in my mind on when I reported on it. But you all will recall we talked about the laser, where a military laser incident was used by a Chinese craft, and it temporarily blinded some uh, sailors in the Philippine, uh, Philippines. Since that incident happened, and I do think it was last week, but um, the Philippines president, Ferdinand Marcos, said that the country will not lose an inch, that was the quote, will not lose an inch of territory. Uh, he made those remarks on the heels of continuing maritime tensions with Beijing and the South China Sea. And so he again criticized the, quote, aggressive activities, end quote, that China was doing. And uh, in one other line, he said that uh, the country has seen heightened geopolitical tensions that do not conform to our, our ideas of peace and threaten the security and stability of the country of the region, and of the world, Marcos said in a speech at a military alumni homecoming event. I have a uh, link to that story if you want to read a little bit more about it, but the interesting thing is as China gets more and more aggressive, these smaller Asian countries are going to increase their defense posture, and also more countries are going to rally together into kind of newer alliances because China is just such an aggressive, massive neighbor that they're going to force these smaller countries to seek the aid of the West. So I keep hoping China will turn course and um, see what's happening here in a larger picture. But I just obviously can't control what China's doing, and I'm just reporting what I see out there. And so far, they seem to continue to be headed in, in the wrong direction on this. So at this point, that leaves... The only thing you can do at that point is deterrence. And so you try to make Taiwan such a porcupine of an island that it cannot be consumed and also continue to rally countries around it into alliances and into cooperation agreements so that if China does do something, they, they will see that there's just such a unity of force around them that it would be just absolutely insane for them to do so because I think if we leave them be at this point it's pretty clear what direction they're headed toward now we're going to leave that heavy topic to something much much lighter and that is this question we'll move to some tech news but the question is is there such a thing as a fast moving robotic dog with a deadly assault weapon on its back well I'm glad you asked the question because yes there actually is such a thing and so I share in the uh, Substack notes if you want to go check it out. I'm going to say this is a pretty scary looking thing. It is a very fast moving, very agile looking robotic dog. It's got an assault weapon on its back, although it's they call it a machine gun, but it looks like an assault weapon to me. But either way, 
assault weapon on the back with a camera behind it with a red dot sight. Doesn't look like it misses many targets. It's I don't know about you, but I think most people have a natural fear of dogs. Dogs are faster than humans. Dogs have uh, almost no feeling of pain when they're in the when they're attacking something. They're almost reckless in their disregard for their own safety. But if a running scary dog with a with a, either a machine gun or an assault weapon on its back that's deadly accurate doesn't scare you, I don't know. Maybe you're maybe you're just braver than me, or maybe you need to. I don't know, <laughs> but it's a pretty cool video if you want to check it out. It's only about a minute, 23 seconds long, but it's uh, it's something else. It's worth looking at. And so anytime, I'm always all big on tech news and drones and robots, and I'm hoping someday we're not in some kind of bad real-life sci-fi thriller where robots hunt all humans down, but I kind of jokingly say that's my... Some people are scared of snakes. Some people are scared of spiders or weird things. For me... I think it's drones and robots hunting down and wiping out all humans because we were foolish enough to make these things with artificial intelligence. So that's just kind of my funny, scary thing. But anyway, I wanted to give a big hat tip on that to Lieutenant Colonel Travis Horde. He's a U.S. Marine. Uh, saw him share that on social media. So huge hat tip to him, and we appreciate his service to our country. And with that, we're going to move to the motivation and wisdom section. You know, one of the things I've learned is that we are all prone to influences. And honestly, we're more prone to them than we even want to admit. For example, just a couple of months ago, you know, dead middle of winter, a lady went running by the house down the street in the cold. You know, it was probably 30 or so, 35, but it's still pretty cold. I don't like cold weather. Let me just put that out there. But immediately I was like, man... You know, she's out there running. Why Why am I not? And so later that day, I went for a run. Same thing happens when we watch TV, which we shouldn't watch too much of, but you guys know that already. You see a commercial that has steaming hot pizza on it. Next thing you know, you want some pizza. So just as we know that all of us are easily influenced, it's my hope that these weekly messages help influence you just a little bit in a positive way. With that, we'll just get started. Here is the first one. Rise up, start fresh, see the bright opportunity in each day. Again, that's rise up, start fresh, see the bright opportunity in each day. Pretty good one. Next one. The moment you're ready to quit is usually the moment right before the miracle happens. Don't give up. It's a good one, isn't it? Again, the moment you're ready to quit is usually the moment right before the miracle happens. Don't give up. I'll add one thing as uh, on that point where uh, I read the other day, I believe it was on Instagram, but I follow several fitness folks, and on one of them shared something where it talked about how weightlifting and exercise, the reason people struggle with that so much is because we all want instant results, do we not? We all want the one-month plan, the three-month plan. And the reality is most of the people you see that you envy, that you want to be like, they have been working out for decades. And so exercise is that thing in life that it helps train us to not expect instant results in things. You don't get instant promotions. You don't get instant pay raises. These things take time. You have to show up on time every day or early. You have to work late. You have to work hard. 
it's the same way with exercise. That's why exercise is so amazing. It does more than just help your endorphins and help you stay in shape. It teaches you that great things do not come quickly. So, again, the quote was, The moment you're ready to quit is usually the moment right before the miracle happens. Don't give up. Let's go to a quote from Vince Lombardi. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Is that great or what? Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Next one. Speak less, you will see more. Yeah, we all talk too much, don't we? Speak less, you will see more. Next one. Stay true to yourself. An original is worth more than a copy. It's pretty good, isn't it? Again, it's stay true to yourself. An original is worth more than a copy. Next one. Start today and don't wait for tomorrow. Oh, I love that one. Start today and don't wait for tomorrow. Man, do we not all know people who say, next week I'm going to get to the gym or I'm going to start a diet or I'm going to do this. It's never today, ever. Or they'll say next month or blah, blah, blah. Like, no, start today, don't wait for tomorrow, period. Done. Do it now. Next one. It will always seem impossible until you prove to them it can be done. Oh, that is so good. I remember I once read in a business book, I love reading executive strategies and business books. And I once read, I think it was called like the 10 minute rule or something that someone threw out where it's like when someone has an idea, no one can attack it in its infancy while it's in like the chick stage, the little chicken stage. You know, it's just a little baby chicken. You can't kill it when it's small and weak because it might be a great idea, but no one has the answer on how you're going to get to whatever that end result is. So Anytime someone throws out an idea, or if you have an idea in your mind, don't tell a friend or anyone because they're going to immediately be like, "Ah, how are you going to do that? Or that's stupid. Or that doesn't make sense to me. I've got a friend who's wanting to write a book that to me doesn't seem like a great idea, but I don't want to tell them that because I don't want to, I don't want to kill it in its infancy. Like if you have something in you, people are wrong. Like you're the only one who knows what will or won't work. And it's, you got to follow your gut. You got to, Follow what your beliefs or your intuition is telling you. So, again, it, the quote was, It will always seem impossible until you prove to them it can be done. I know just with my little podcast, I told some folks I was going to be doing it, and they're like, man, military news? Like, I don't know. Like, And if you do it from the middle, want, like you won't get anyone on the right or left to listen. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm going to try it, though. Can't let people talk you out of things. There's if you if there's something you see that needs to be done, you need to do it. Next one. If you can't handle stress, you won't manage success. Oh my word, is that a good one? If you can't handle stress, you won't manage success. We all know those people who make it as like a rock star or a movie star, and maybe they haven't put the work in, or maybe they get a lucky early discovery. They do not handle that well, do they? No, no, they do not. And so they often blow it or turn to drugs or they haven't earned it. They haven't taken their time. They haven't dealt with the stress or planned how they will use and spend what they eventually get. It's the same way with lottery winners. There's so many news stories about this that you'll have someone who doesn't have much money. They win the lottery. And what ends up happening to them? When all is said and done, they're usually divorced. Their family hates them, 
and they're almost suicidal and they're bankrupt again because they don't know how to handle money. So if you can't handle stress, you won't manage success. So wherever you're at in your life, you need to get better at what you're, where you're at. And as you get better, so will the things that come to you. Next one. The more you do, the more you can do. Oh, that's good, is it not? The more you do, the more you can do. So I'll get stronger. Next one. If it's important to you, you will find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. Ooh, that one hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, that one's pretty much on the mark. If it's important to you, you will find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. It's kind of similar to the one we've all heard where if you want something done, ask a busy person to get it done. And it seems counterintuitive, but it's true that those who are busiest are also the ones who get things done. So if it's important to you, you will find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. It's funny, I actually copied in that one, I guess about a week ago. But I guess that one applies to me this week too, because I had several people on social media say, Stan, don't worry about putting out a podcast this week, like your mother passed. But that's just not the way I'm wired. I I have people who were generous and kind enough to support this financially. I told them I'd do one a week. And also, you know, life goes on. We have to keep pushing. And so this this... What I do every week is very important to me. And so if it's important to you, you will find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. I'm not really an excuse kind of guy. So I was a day late and I do sound sick, but I promise you I'm, I'm giving all I can. So let's move to the next one. Focus on improving yourself, not proving yourself. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Focus on improving yourself, not proving yourself. That one hits home. I definitely joined the Marine Corps to prove myself, but there are times where you got to do something to prove to others you can do it, but we should all be focusing on improving ourselves and not just proving yourself. Next one, just be yourself. There is no one better. That's really good. We often try to emulate other people too much, don't we? Just be yourself. There is no one better. And we've all... All of us are unique, but we also take small bits of people that we've been around or interacted with, sometimes the good. Sometimes we'll see someone do something bad or wrong, and we'll say we'll never be that way if we're in that same position. So use all those experiences. Just be yourself. Next one, don't waste your life trying to impress other people. Do what you love. Love what you do. Is that great or what? Don't waste your life trying to impress other people. Do what you love. Love what you do. I always tell people, when I'm doing this podcast or when I'm writing, it's not work. It's like it's like what I was meant to do. So find that thing that for you, where you just you start doing it and time disappears. You skip meals. You just get in the zone and you love it. You live to do it. That's what you're supposed to do in life. Next one. Memories stay. Life moves on. Yeah, that's another one. I copied that one from last week before all this happened, but definitely hits home. Memories stay, life moves on. Next one. Always be yourself. Express yourself. Have faith in yourself. Do not go out and look for a successful personality and duplicate it. I must have copied that one before seeing a couple of the others. I usually collect these throughout the week, but that one's a little similar to some of the other ones. Next one. uh, starts with not moving is lethal but here's the little quote that's shared 
Don't fear failure. Fear being in the exact same place next year as you are today. That is good, isn't it? And that was shared by uh, Mary Sue Devlin. It's someone I've connected with on social media, but uh, I appreciate Mary Sue sharing that. But again, the quote is, Don't fear failure. Fear being in the exact same place next year as you are today. That is so good. And then she summarized it by saying, Not moving is lethal. I think there's some truth to that one for sure. Next one, smile. It will make you look better. Pray. It will make you strong. Love. It will make you enjoy life. It's a nice, simple one, isn't it? Smile. It will make you look better. Pray. It will make you strong. Love. It will make you enjoy life. Next one. Sometimes you just need to relax and trust that things will work out. Let go a little and let life happen. It's a great one. We're always in a rush, are we not? Again, the quote is, sometimes you just need to relax and trust that things will work out. Let go a little and let life happen. All right, next one. A true relationship is two imperfect people refusing to give up on each other. Oh, that is really good. I think we've all been through heartbreak, have we not? But a true relationship is two imperfect people refusing to give up on each other. Man, that is so good. And I think we're all we're all guilty too of trying to change our spouse or our partner or friend. And you know, if you if if they were exactly like you, you wouldn't need them in your life. That's that's what makes those things so strong. So maybe try not to change them so hard. Next one. When someone truly cares about you, they make an effort, not an excuse. Oh, that's another great one. When someone truly cares about you, they make an effort, not an excuse. Next one. Be obsessed with improving yourself. Well, that's what we all try to do every week, is it not? Next one. Accept change and do not worry. Eventually, you will manage, learn, and live. Another great one. And another one that I copied last week that hits home pretty hard this week. All right. Next one. With the courage to begin... And the discipline to endure. A victory becomes a matter of time. Man, that's so good. With the courage to begin and the discipline to endure, victory becomes a matter of time. That's the way it's been with me with all of my endeavors. Whether it's this my writing or this podcast. I'm so much better at this podcast now than I was a year ago. When I listened to it a year ago, I just cringe. But you get better at things. So whatever you're not even that good at, if you feel like that's what you're supposed to do, just start doing, keep getting better, enjoy it, enjoy every moment as you do it, and, you know, excellence is going to come. Next one, you are the reason someone believes in the goodness of people. Oh, that's good, and it's almost like the one that I end every single episode with, is it not? So, you are the reason someone believes in the goodness of people. So, if, if you're not doing that out there and you're listening to this, try to. Try to be that person. All right, let's do three more. Next one. A strong mind can find happiness in the midst of trouble. It's a choice. Oh, that's such a good one. A strong mind can find happiness in the midst of trouble. It's a choice. Next one. Enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. Oh, we all know people who start that diet or start that exercise plan, and they do not last. Do we not know these people? 
Don't be that person. But again, it's enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. Man, that's such a good one. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10-plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a -a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath, breathe, call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out. 
And that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. And he moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town. And he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action. A couple of cops die before the end of book one. And if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown. Book two is called Gravel Road, and it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Akov, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking There's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl is hot, and she takes part in the chase, so uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On, and I write about the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from... On one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So, really, the book is, it's pretty deep. So, it it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish, and will they survive with their honor and dignity, and, you know, and I've been told this, that Soldier On just truly defines what it means to be a soldier, to never give up. And then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan. It's called Hill 406. It's about a couple of Marines who couldn't be more different. They get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation. It's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. And then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention. Actually, it's a part biography, part self-help, all-inspiration-type book about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking how he overcome just so many obstacles including that huge like two to one election defeat and it's the first in what i think will be a number of presidential books assuming they sell well enough it's the first one will be on him and the next one will be on a republican i've kind of started that one but i put it on hold until i try to see what the interest level is on some type of series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration. It's self-help. So I think you can learn a lot from presidents. I could go for own for, again, I won't get into it too much, but that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The How He Managed to the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book in my humble opinion. So that's called number 44. You can check that out as well. 
And I don't think I said this earlier, but you can find all of my books on Amazon. So just go to Amazon and just search for the name Stan R. Mitchell. And you should see a whole list of them. You'll see them all listed. And that's the best place to get them. And that's also why I have to put the R in my name. You'll see there's more than one Stan Mitchell. So way back in the day, I had to do what I never wanted to do, which is put a middle initial in my name, which to me just seems kind of... I don't know, pretentious, but yes, go to Amazon.com, search Stan R. Mitchell, and you will see a list of them. Hey guys, thanks so much. I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.